begin our new series on the book of Daniel today. And this is Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Come, Holy Spirit, lead us again. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pure and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. God, as you swept through in the wonderful storms this weekend and cleared out the atmosphere and gave us beautiful rain and beautiful sky and, and wash us clean, wash us and blow through us today through your word that we might be drawn into your forever kingdom deeper and deeper into your very life, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, the book of Daniel begins with consequences. Israel had been warned in the third year of reign of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. This happened because God wanted to happen. God allowed it to happen. God warned that it would happen. Consequences. God warns Israel in Leviticus 26. God warns Israel in Leviticus 26 that there were going to be blessings for faithfulness and curses for unfaithfulness. And earlier in the Old Testament story, in 2 Kings 20, Judah's king Hezekiah fails to trust God to have his back. And what he tries to do is he tries to get Babylon to help him deal with the impending invasion of Assyria. He receives the Babylonian envoys, tries to curry favor with them, says, look, I got all these goodies over here for you. Basically says, I'm going to trust my political alliances more than I'm going to trust God. And Isaiah the prophet slams King Hezekiah for this. In 2 Kings 27, Isaiah says, Days are coming 
when all that is in your house and that which your ancestors have stored up until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And so in Daniel 1, consequences. This is exactly what sets up our story, our epic story of Daniel. Consequences. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. That is the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar, who promptly takes Israel's stuff and makes it his own stuff in his own temple. And Nebuchadnezzar doesn't stop with taking stuff. Perhaps in an attempt to further humble Israel, Nebuchadnezzar orders some of Israel's best and brightest to come and serve him. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. Well, what a thing to imagine, to be conquered and then to be forced to serve your conqueror. Imagine that. New language, new customs, new food, new geography, new place, new life, new name. The new naming is significant. Scholar Ernest Lucas says the giving a new, of a new name was a sign of ownership. You were owned by the person who gave you your new name and you had to give your allegiance to them. So these guys had their Hebrew names, names that lift up the God of Israel, names that lifted up Israel's God, were now changed to names that lifted up the Babylonian God, either directly or indirectly. Now, Daniel allows much of this to happen. We don't get, a, we don't get in the story here any sense that Daniel fights a lot of this. He seems to go with the flow. He doesn't resist the food, or the, he doesn't resist the customs, the language, um, the new life. He's not stirring up rebellion, even the name. We don't see he's upset about that. But he draws the line at the food and wine. Why? He's not going to eat the Babylonian food because the pagan food and drink would symbolize uncleanliness. So he resolved not to defile himself, as verse 8 says, with the royal food and wine. He'll allow himself to be in the Babylonian culture, their customs, their language, even the name, new place. He's going to you know, learn, do what he can do. But he says, I'm not going there. I'll do this and this and this. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm drawing the line right there. He may submit to an extent to where he finds himself, rolls with it, but he has the point where he says, I'm not going past that line. That's his line. Where is yours? Where is your line? What is it in our culture that you just say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm, I, this is okay. This is fine. But not that. I was talking with a guy a while back about how women are talked about among his friends. And the language that gets used often, too often, puts women as physical objects, makes women into physical objects. Many American guys are at home culturally using language that objectifies women. You could say it's even considered normal in our culture, but it's not among God's people. Likewise with gossip, it's easy to fall into the gossip of the neighborhood or whatever, right? It's just what people do, but it's not the way of God's people. 
Likewise, with business practices that put profit above justice or health, cutting corners here and there might be acceptable in a worldly situation, but not for a person who follows Jesus. And beware, if you're the person who is not jumping in and joining others in making disparaging comments about the opposite sex, if you're the person who is not piling in on the gossip, if you're the one not cutting corners in the name of profit or safety, all this will get you noticed. And maybe in a way that makes you uncomfortable or even puts you at risk. That was what it was like for Daniel with this line he drew. Only for Daniel, it wasn't merely fear of losing his job or his friends or his status in the neighborhood. For Daniel, it was losing his head. So Daniel is brave. But the point of our story isn't just a bunch of brave guys. And that's always a danger when you read the Old Testament. Not a danger, but it's a little bit of a, something you have to be careful about. Yeah, we want to emulate the bravery of people of the Old Testament, sure. But that's not really the point. The point is what's behind Daniel's bravery or who's behind Daniel's bravery. Because there's another character on the story who shows up without without much fanfare in verse 9. And it goes like this. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. All of a sudden, God shows up in Babylon. Now we just heard God gave Judah over to Babylon. But now God's at work in Babylon to bring favor to the Israelites. So on one hand, Daniel and his people suffer the consequences of their blowing it. They disobey God. They face that. And yet... God does not abandon them to those consequences. God is still at work. That's the gospel. God shows up in grace and compassion and does not abandon us to our sins. Verse eight, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. This is a bombshell. God moves in the life of this official from the conquering king, there is no place then where God cannot work. Even in your consequences, even in the midst of the consequences of our bad behavior, God is still at work. God is always working. The gracious tenacity on God's part, that's the heart of the biblical story. That's really a love story in the Bible. That's why, while we want to honor Daniel here, totally all honor to Daniel, but the real hero is God, the God of tenacious grace who never lets us go. And so it is his trusting that our tenaciously gracious God has his back that enables Daniel to take a risk and not only take the risk, but take the risk in a certain way. Listen to how Daniel says no. Listen to how he draws the line. Verse eight, he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, is this how you would do it? I mean, consider this. What if you had a a son or daughter in sports and they were forced to, they, they were asked, hey, come and play and practice on Sunday morning. 
and skip worship and discipleship and, and fellowship on Sunday morning. We need you to come in and be on the team. How would you handle that? Well, you have to wrestle with it. What, what's God's call in your life? We want our kids to have good experiences. We want to be salt of the earth, not just a big pile of salt. So the earth includes the playing field, the mats, the court, right? The, the different courts. And I think you can make a defensible case if you were so led by the convictions of the spirit to go and play on a Sunday. And then it's incumbent upon us to find you another, another place to worship and have fellowship and, 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 and uh, learning. That could be an option. But on the other hand, if you pray about it, and you're convicted of the spirit that that needs to be aligned for you, how are you going to do it? Well, you have options. Do you not just show up? Kind of be, do you just be passive aggressive? Say, you know, or do you write a letter to the local newspaper complaining about it and trying to stir up public opinion? Or do you march on the coach's house in protest with torches and dogs at night or something? Or do we do like Daniel? And make a respectful request as he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. See, in operating this way, in operating this way, Daniel salts the earth without assaulting people. I'm disheartened as a Christian minister and leader to see lately video on the news of professing Christians showing up around our country at school board meetings and berating and threatening their school boards and their doctors with whom they're consulting and hurling insults at them and ranting, all because these professing Christians see masking and vaccinating as somehow defiling. I don't even have to get into the debate about masking and vaccinating. That's not really my point. We could debate that, but it's how they do it. Ranting and raving and hurling insults at people in authority in our culture is not the posture of Daniel here when he draws his line. It's not the posture of St. Paul who says, let your gentleness be evident to all in Thessalonians. The Thessalonians. It's not the posture of our Lord himself. It's far from it. Daniel, Paul, and our Lord never rant and rage and threaten in order to somehow assert control. In contrast, they're poised and respectful to the authorities that challenge them. Think of Jesus before Pilate. And why is that? Why is that? Because they know who's really in charge. This is the theme of of Daniel, which we'll get to in a second. But notice how Daniel negotiates here. He even takes into heart the concerns of the king. Because the king's official, the concerns of the king's official. Because the king's official says to him, look, if you look bad... I'm going to lose my head because the king wants you to be healthy. So if you don't eat right, you lose your, and you look bad, I'm going, to, I'm going to get in trouble. So what does Daniel do? He makes a deal. Verse 12. Okay, here's an idea. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare your, our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Daniel takes a stand, but Daniel is also respectful and responsive to the needs of those he's standing against. Daniel is faithful to God and he cares for his opponents. 
You know, sometimes I see a, a cat walking down the street. And I, I don't, I'm allergic to cats, but I still think cats are cute. And so I've got options. I can go, I can go, you know, or I can go, right? Which one's going to draw the cat? You know, you ever try to speak cat? I think there's too much from Christians and not enough, you know what I mean? Toward the culture, right? As we draw our lines in the sand. And part of it is seeing these opportunities. Look at what Daniel does. He doesn't just confront the guy. He invites the guy in. He says, let me show you that. Come here, take a look. Okay, you take a look. I'm just going to eat veggies. And then you tell me what you see. Imagine if with these people in authority in our culture who we're more against, or some Christians are, if you just, an invitation, you know, come on and come, you know what? Come to church. Why, I'd be curious to know in all these confrontational meetings and nastiness and ranting and raving by Christians, how many of these Christians doing this are inviting these people out to lunch, loving them, caring for them, serving them, finding out, okay, well, what's your concern about the masking issue? You know, having a dialogue like Daniel does here. Our witness is not just about taking a stand, but also how we treat those who we're standing against. And Daniel gives us a remarkable model in doing that because in the process of taking a stand, you can invite people into what you're standing for. Come and see. Come and take a look. Here, I'm going to do this. See what happens. Negotiate. And Daniel could do this. Daniel could operate this way because as we'll see again and again in the coming weeks, Daniel trusted completely and totally in the sovereignty of God. That's the theme of, of Daniel's book. God's large and in charge. I watched this uh, wonderful HBO miniseries called Generation Kill. And it's about Marines in the first Iraq war. And look, it, it's about Marines. So it's not a G-rated thing, okay? It's, so, you know, be advised. Look at the, look about the parental precautions, you know. Don't watch it with your 10-year-old. But it's brilliant. It's about a Rolling Stone correspondent who embedded with these recon marines in the first Iraq war and the writing is brilliant the actors we've got all kinds of accolades and a lot of a lot of people who people I've known who oh I know personally and also who I've read about say this is the most realistic show about military ever okay generation kill watch it but you know be advised it's about marines so it's rough language all of that of course given the content um one of the things you learn about in this show is they have their own kind of uh, way of talking to each other. So they'll say, get your victors up, meaning get your men up. Or they'll say, interrogative, which means they have a question. Or solid copy, which means I read you loud and clear. And one of the recurring things is, be assured. Be assured of this. And they'll say, be assured of this. Be assured of this. I love that. Be assured. Daniel, in his battle, lives as a man who is assured that God's got his back. And that's everything. Be assured. And when you live like that, you move confidently toward a world uh, that needs our gospel. Be assured. But, of course, in our battle, we're not trying to annihilate people. We're trying to convert people. (laughs) We're seeing people be converted. 
which moves every confrontation into an, an opportunity for invitation. This is what happens here in our story. Well, it all turns on this. It's the battle within ourselves. If we're all about getting our own way, if we're all about expressing our anger with the culture and having a big Christian temper tantrum about what's not going on and being indignant over what upsets us in the culture, guess what? You're already a captive. We're already self-absorbed. We're not really all about God. We're still captives to our own anger and fury, even if we get the thing we want, whether we get it or not. But if we're focused on and in God and his sovereignty, if we're immersed in and we can be assured that God has our back and God's ultimately victorious, no matter whether we win or lose this cultural battle or that cultural battle, well, then we can love our enemies, quote unquote, We can negotiate as part of our witness. Hey, come to lunch, come to church. I want to learn more about why you're concerned about that. Let's talk, et cetera, et cetera. Just as Daniel does with this king's official. When we truly trust in God's sovereignty, when we're assured that we're part of the inbreaking reign of God, then we're free to be faithful, to move from that confrontational stance to that invitational faithful stance with love and care for our opponents freed from the fears and anxieties and even the need to win all the time. Never before has that been more needed. Be assured, God is sovereign. Invite your people who you're disagreeing with to see that and he will be faithful every time. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.